Amen. You may be seated. My name is uh, Ethan Fordham. I am one of the elders here. If you do not know me, and if you do know me, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> oh, so grateful to be here with all of you this morning to preach God's word. And a couple of weeks ago, when I was preaching, I, I made the comment that I'm just grateful that we get to go verse by verse, passage by passage, because it forces us to deal with some hard things. And I don't think in making that statement I realized how hard this week was going to be. So before I begin, I just want to ask your patience and your grace as I communicate these things. This is a hard text, but there's a lot of hope here. So I just, I ask that you, for your mercy as I attempt to communicate God's wonderful word. April 10th, 1987, Paul Fordham married Teresa Ecker. They separated the first year of my life, and their divorce was finalized two years later. I grew up defined by the reality of divorce. I didn't know anything else. I did not come from a united family. I did not have a mom and dad that loved each other. Right? I heard the stories from both sides. And this divorce colored my and my family's whole existence, my whole life. And I know I'm not the only one. I know that whether uh, you know someone who is divorced, have parents that are divorced, or are divorced yourself, that this is a painful reality in the world in which we live. So as we come to our text this morning, we want to ask, what do we do with all that pain? Where is God's grace and goodness found? So whether you are single, married, divorced, or remarried, Jesus has a hard but hopeful word for us this morning. With this in mind, if you would please open your scriptures to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. It'll be on the screen as well. But if you need a Bible, which is superior to these screens, if you need a Bible, there are Bibles on the shelf down there uh, on the bottom shelf. Please take one of those and keep it. This is God's word. 
Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this Receive it. Let us pray this morning. Lord God, we come to you and we ask that your spirit would enlighten our minds and our hearts to this word. Lord, receive the glory this morning, we pray. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Jesus is on the move. He's moving from Galilee to the region of Judea. And as crowds are wont to do, they follow him. Right? Crowds be following Jesus everywhere. And as Jesus is wont to do, out of his compassion and his mercy, he heals them. Amen? Jesus cares for the crowds. He cares for people. But in the midst of this, as this is happening, some Pharisees show up. And they're looking for a little controversy. We read, Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, let's not be mistaken by this. This is not a fair question. It's not a genuine question. It's kind of like asking someone who they voted for, knowing that their answer is just going to make one side or the other really, really mad. Right? It's not a fair question. It's, that's what's happening right now. And this question reflects at least two Jewish schools of thought about the grounds for divorce in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. Verse 1 says this, it says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency in her. 
So the, the controversy, the question is, what does indecency mean? Well, one school of thought was very strict. A man could not give his wife a certificate of divorce unless the indecency was of adulterous in nature, of some high-handed, sexually immoral behavior. And the other school of thought was far more loose, kind of comically loose, actually. If your wife burns your toast, divorce. If, you're, if, if you just happen to, you know, find another lady who looks a little more appealing and your wife is sort of, you know, not so appealing anymore, divorce. Two schools, one very strict, one very loose. So the question was in, intentionally designed to get one side mad at Jesus, they were assuming he'd answer one way or the other. But with much wisdom and winsomeness, Jesus takes and he steps to the side of this question, steps to the side of the intention of Moses. And he goes to a very different passage. We read, Have you not read that he who created? So he begins with the beginning. Hey, Pharisees, haven't you read? You're asking me about debates between two different schools about how to interpret Moses in Deuteronomy. We'll get to that. But haven't you read? Don't you remember what God did in the beginning? God created. He designed. He's the architect of all things. All things that exist have their existence from God. And all that exists has its reason, its purpose for existing from God. God, as creator, has the divine prerogative to define everything as the divine designer. Like we confessed this morning, there is but one God, the maker. To him all creatures, he's the creator. We are creatures. All creatures owe their highest love, reverence, and obedience. So God created And we go on to read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. When God created, he made a man and a woman. He made them male and female, right? Adam and Eve. The Pharisees are asking about divorce. Jesus answers with the very first marriage. One man one woman. There's nowhere for that man to go. Right? He already checked out all the animals and says, there's not a helper fit for me. Praise God. <laughs> so God creates a woman. We notice he did not create another man. He did not create multiple women. He created a woman. And such a statement rules out any and all other kinds or ideas 
of marriage, if it doesn't involve one man and one woman, we are not talking about marriage. According to God's divine definition, marriage is between one man and one woman without any respect for the potential of another man or woman being introduced or replaced. Not only that, but marriage comes with a law. We read, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Leave leave father and mother. Hold fast to wife. Leave and cleave, as we say. There's a forsaking of all when you get married. Right? I was reflecting on my own marriage when I was reading this. I was like, in my marriage, I'm on my wife's side, period. End of story. Her wants, her needs, her desires, they are my priority. Everything else is secondary. Our parents and our in-laws certainly deserve honor. God commands that. But our spouse is primary. Which is interesting. Because even when we think our spouse is primary, that also means that our children are secondary in some respects. They hold a very high estate. Amen. But I was reading Matthew Henry this week, and he talked about um, right? Marriage is a, a divine institution, and the highest obligation of that institution is the procreation of children. But it's absurd to think about abandoning children. Amen? It's insane. You wouldn't do it. It's against the created order. It should be doubly insane than to abandon a spouse. Just as one ought never to happen, the other also ought never to happen. Abandoning children makes no sense. Abandoning a spouse should make less sense. And this is true especially given the nature of the marriage bond. We continue to read that when people marry, the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Right? What is two, was two, is now one. What was distinct is now united. Now, I like spooky, scary movies, so I'm really happy this, this statement isn't totally literal. Like, a, a marriage is like this monstrosity, this creature, right? Glad it's not that. Because this is a beautiful picture. The uniting of two people coming together in marriage unity for oneness, for unity, which is most intimately pictured in the sexual union between a husband and a wife. One flesh. Therefore, the marriage unit is to be cherished, cared for, nurtured. What Paul said, uh, a husband's duty 
in Ephesians 5, he says husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Friends, the Pharisees are asking about divorce. But divorce destroys this. And John Calvin stated that whoever divorces his wife tears himself in pieces. These realities climax and are joined with the concluding phrase, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Marriage is not some societal convention in which we voluntarily enter into and out of. Marriage is a divine institution that God has made and that God perpetuates between a man and a woman. And Jesus draws this conclusion about the intention of the divine design for marriage. Because God has done it, marriage is not something that ought to be easily undone. Marriage is originally designed and intended to be permanent so long as two people are living and breathing on planet Earth. Brothers and sisters, this is a hard saying, especially given how divorce touches on all of our lives. This is a hard saying, but we can't shy away from what Jesus says, that marriage is God's doing. It is designed and intended to bring about unity between two people. But the Pharisees, they're, they're asking about divorce for any cause, without any consideration of the nature of the institution they wanted, so free, wanted to be so free to tear apart. They were thinking only of themselves. We must not. God calls us to know what marriage is, to know its design, to know its intention. He has designed it. He has defined it. And we have a duty and a responsibility to walk in light of that. Brothers and sisters, since God made marriage, we submit to God's design. But the Pharisees ask, so they go on. Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Notice, notice this. Why did Moses command? Command. An obligation. That something ought to be done. They're not saying that, I'm sorry, they are saying that Moses placed upon them a moral obligation to divorce their wives. That it should happen. Right? Can't cook? I guess I have to divorce you. Not looking so hot? I guess I have to divorce you. Here's the thing, though. Moses did not command. He did not command this. Deuteronomy 24 is describing a situation 
in which divorce is something that has already existed. There's no command there, only an allowance and a regulation. And I was very helped in some of the commentaries, I want to add, that this allowance and regulation primarily existed to protect the wife that was being left behind. That the certificate of divorce would enable her to have some kind of representation, some kind of document in hand when she went and found another husband so that the previous husband couldn't just show up and change his mind. It was meant to protect women. So when Jesus defines the divine intention for marriage, he's confronting their misrepresentation of Moses. So if Moses did not enforce divorce as some kind of moral good, then what is it? Why the allowance? Well, Jesus responds. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Right? The Pharisees just wanted to be justified by the law so that they could leave their wives for any willy-nilly decision they wanted. But Jesus condemns such action. And he cuts straight to the point. It is not on some fault of your spouse that you want to divorce, but only a fault of your own. It is your hardness of heart that you want to do this. It is your own sinfulness that you refuse to God's definition of marriage. In your sinfulness, Pharisee, you have constructed your own design, your own definition. Friends, it is sin to break God's divine institution of marriage for any flippant cause that we choose. According to one divorce website, right, some of the most common reasons people get divorced in today's day and age are uh, lack of commitment. Right? Like, meh. I'm just going to move on. I'm not into this like I used to be. Absence of romantic intimacy, love. I don't love you anymore. Or maybe I found someone else I love more. Marrying too young, which I don't totally understand. Like, if you have a spouse, like, what, are you going to go find something better? Like, what is there better for you to do? <laughs> Lack of shared interest and compatibility between partners. If my wife had to love Star Trek as much as I do, our marriage would be in trouble. <laughs> Praise God, she does not need to love Star Trek as much as me. <laughs> Don't hear me wrong as I read this list. Some of these things, all of these things, are very, can be very difficult to work through. Can be very hard. Having different desires. Feeling scorned by your spouse. Not having love reciprocated. These things can be very, very, very difficult. But we work through these things. 
We push for oneness, for unity, for the marital bond. We fight against differences that would lead to bitterness. Friends, it is the hardness of heart against a spouse that leads to destroying a marriage just for any cause. For any small reason. But the offended party is not only the spouse. Sam Storm says, when you choose divorce for unbiblical grounds, you are saying no to God. Not to your spouse, not to the minister who officiated your wedding, not to your kids, but to God. Friends, this is the definition of sin, is it not? Rebellion to submit to God's design, to his law, to his commands. Brothers and sisters, if you are here this morning and you are married if you are remarried, this is a, a call to us to confess our sins to one another, to our spouses. To push for marital unity. To flee the sin and selfishness that would destroy our marriage. We don't look for a way out just become, because it becomes hard, inconvenient, we're just not in vogue in our own emotions anymore. We push for unity in marriage and uphold God's design because it's good. It's good. But what about more difficult circumstances? What about causes that are not minor? This is a, an important question to ask. Well, Jesus continues. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Okay, so remember the debate that's happening. Can a man divorce his wife for any cause, right? Can't cook, divorce. This, can't divorce, right? Misplaced my socks, divorce. For any flippant cause. Well, Jesus is ending that debate. He says, if, a, if a, a man divorces his wife and marries another, he commits adultery. He's saying that if a man divorces his wife for any unbiblical reason, any minor reason, then the marriage is not rightfully ended in God's eyes. And the husband then becomes an adulterer when he marries another woman. Unlawful divorce leads to adultery. But, if it be on the grounds of sexual immorality, then one can have an allowance for divorce. Here's the thing, though. As we read sexual immorality, we might think adultery, right? Like sexual inf infidelity involving another person. If, if Jesus wanted to say that, he probably, he would have used the word for adultery. But instead, he uses a different word that's translated sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality 
includes adultery, but is not limited to it. Sexual immorality covers a wider array of activities that are antithetical to the nature of marriage. The trouble is, when we think about this word sexual immorality, the Greek word is porneia, the same word we get pornography from. Porneia occurs in the heart, in the mind, and it occurs in our actions. It is, in, in, adultery might be an escapable reality, actually committing a sin physically with another human being. Sexual immorality, if we look close enough at one another's hearts, our minds, we all are guilty of sexual immorality in some way. So Jesus, when he's saying this, it's almost as if he's saying, you ought not to go around fault-finding with your spouse. Because if you look closely enough, you, as well as they, are certainly guilty of sexual immorality. Given how Jesus has defined marriage as divinely instituted upon between uh, divine institute, instituted union between one man and woman for life, marriage should not break if um, even break if by our own wickedness we have broken our marriage vows with sexually immoral thoughts or actions. Right? There might be allowance, but we ought to confess and repent. So what do we do? If you're here today and you are married, honor your spouse. Honor your spouse. Live together in the unity that God, has, God calls you to in your marriage. Flee any and all sexually immoral thoughts or activities that could threaten your marriage covenant. Is your primary responsibility in life to love your spouse in marriage unity. If you're here this morning and you're remarried, the call to you is the same. Love your spouse. Care for them. Flee anything that would tear your marriage apart. And if you're remarried, that means your, a marriage has been torn apart. A marriage has undergone a divorce. So you have the opportunity to reinforce what God calls you to. To love your spouse, to flee the brokenness of your previous marriage, and to daily seek God's grace so that the same won't happen again. These are hard sayings, but there's hope. Friends, marriage is a profound commitment. But what we do, what we do know, what we do with these, oh, sorry, what we do with the, what do we do with the brokenness of divorce? Where's the gospel for the married, the divorced, the remarried? Marriage, friends, is a picture of the gospel. That Jesus Christ came to die for his bride. To give his life up for her. To reconcile her to God. 
Marriage is a picture of the gospel. And uh, when we experience the brokenness of hurting or failed marriages, we ought to see that the marriage picture of the gospel brings hope for hurting people affected by broken marriage. Though that picture in our own marriages is broken, it is still nonetheless true that the gospel brings hope, grace, forgiveness in light of brokenness, in light of pain, of divorce that has wrecked uh, some of our lives. Though we are all affected by divorce, we can have hope knowing that Christ will never divorce those who come to him in faith and repentance. Amen? So if you're married or you're remarried here today, live in light of that. Remember what your marriage is a picture of. That should cause you to forgive your spouse daily, to push for unity always, to pursue the benefit of your spouse and to be at peace. If you're here and you're divorced and remarried, first, know that you are loved and you are cherished in this church. That your life, your divorce, does not define you here. And in light of that, you have a unique opportunity to serve and to love those married couples who are undergoing pain and hurt in their own marriage, who are on the precipice of divorce, that you can plead with them, that you can call them back. Don't go that way. It's not going to solve your problems. It's a life of pain. If you're divorced this morning and alone in this world, Look to Jesus. You, the gospel redeems you from your broken marriage. The gospel is your hope. Though you are single and you have much pain in light of that, Christ is a bridegroom who will never divorce you, whose love for you is incorruptible. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. If you're here and you're married and you're, or you're single, you have the unique opportunity to extend grace and mercy to those divorced people here who are hurting, who are in pain. And your presence in their life, wait, I could just say Jesus is with you. It's very true. Your presence in their life is a visible sign that Christ abides with them, that Christ loves them. Spend time with them. Love them. Pray with them. Amen? Friends, Christ calls his people to a very high standard indeed. But even in the brokenness of marriage and divorce, he does not leave us without hope. The gospel, the marriage picture of the gospel is our hope. And no matter what station we are in, 
in life. We can live in light of that, in light of God's grace, in light of God's mercy, in light of God's love that he will not divorce his own. Because of how Christ has forgiven us, we can pursue what is good, righteous, and just in marriage. Because God has made marriage, we flee our design for divorce. So the disciples, they pick up on this. They realize how difficult what Jesus is saying is. They say, they say to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Yes, this is a hard thing Jesus is saying. So the disciples are like, maybe uh, you just don't get married. But what they don't realize is that's not easier. And to illustrate this, Jesus talks about some eunuchs. Right? Eunuchs are those who don't get married. They are those who, they don't get married. (laughs) They're they're celibate, right? They don't don't enjoy those relations, right? And Jesus says there are some who are eunuchs by nature, right? They are uh, born this way, perhaps some uh, just birth defect or what have you. They are by nature born that way. He says others were made that way by men, right? In this context, um, men would have been made eunuchs if they were working in like a harem so that there wouldn't be any like funny business with the ladies. And then there are those who make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying that celibacy is no easy thing. And in fact, it's only for those to whom it is given. Now, the, t- the scriptures talk a lot about singleness, right? Paul refers to singleness, he says, the gift of singleness. Singleness is a gift if you are single. It is a gift to live in that state. At the same time, marriage is also a gift to live in that state. It is a a creational good, no matter its difficulties. So no one should avoid marriage because it's hard. Right? If you're here today and you desire, desire a spouse, by all means, pursue a spouse. Certainly trust God in that process. It's only according to his will that you would find one. Trust God in that process. While you are single, though, consider singleness is not for extra me time. It's not for more vacations or video games. Singleness is not for selfishness. It is for the kingdom. Likewise, marriage. Marriage is not for self, but for the kingdom and spouse. The call to married people and single people is actually quite similar. A married person is called to love God and love neighbor. 
their closest neighbor being their spouse. A single person is called to love God and love neighbor. Their neighbors being anyone in their life. There's no one that for it to primarily focus on. They could focus on, if you are single, you can focus on anyone. You are unbounded. You unencumbered by a spouse. At the same time, Jesus says there are those who are gifted to remain single and celibate for life. Right? Singleness is a gift. Always a gift. But for some, it can be a lifelong gift. But that person who is gifted such has decided that they can work better for the kingdom without a spouse. Notice, again, not for extra me time, not for selfishness, for kingdom. To work for the kingdom. All of the energy, if you're married here, you know how much energy you put into your spouse. Amen? Or at least I pray. (laughs) All of the energy that we exercise in loving and supporting and fulfilling the needs and the desires of our spouse. If you're single, all of that energy can go into the kingdom. And that's a glorious, that's a beautiful thing. That's a virtuous thing. And there are some that God can gift to take on that role that station for their life. Putting aside the thing for which we are designed is no small task. So the disciples, in their statement, it's kind of silly. You don't avoid marriage because it's difficult, because singleness is an equally difficult task. In either case, whether married or single, our lives are for the kingdom. It's all for the kingdom. So in the end, since God made marriage, we count the cost when committing to either marriage or singleness. Friends, marriage is hard, but it's beautiful. It should be held in honor and cherished. And it should not be avoided because of its difficulty. At the same time, divorce brings so much pain. Decades worth. A lifetime of pain. But God can and does redeem that brokenness with the glorious gospel of a Christ who will never leave his bride. In all of this, God's grace and his goodness can heal and mend, even in unsuspecting ways, unsuspected ways. After nearly 27 years, after nearly 20 Seven years of hurt, brokenness, and sin. Of 27 years of alienation between husband and wife, father and sons, 
mother and sons. After a life of divorce defining the identity of a man, a woman, and their two sons. In 2018, Paul Fordham, my dad, asked Harry Martin to forgive him for all of the pain and brokenness that he caused in their marriage. And she gave it. She gave forgiveness to my dad because of the gospel. And even on my own wedding day, I saw my mom and my stepdad, my dad and my stepmom enjoying one another's company. They all have dinner together to this day, often. Friends, it is only the grace of God and the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that has done such a thing. Would you pray with me? Blessed and most merciful God, 